0: Today, we are looking at prayer and the believer. So, prayer. Prayer is essentially a two way conversation with your mighty God Father in heaven. And there are approximately 650 prayers recorded in the Bible. The first recorded prayer is found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, which simply says, and for Seth, to him also, a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men, here's the prayer, began to call on the name of the Lord. So man began to call on the name of the Lord. So man started to pray to God. And then you got 25 recorded times of Jesus praying. And then you got 41 recorded prayers of Paul in his epistles, and each and every single one of his epistle, he prayed in. There's examples of intercessory prayer, like from Abraham in Genesis 18 when he interceded for Sodom. There's prayers of thanksgiving and praise and worship. You've got Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where she thanked and praised the Lord for the gift of her unborn son. you got prayer requests, as in Ezra chapter 8, where Ezra prays for a safe passage, a safe journey from God. King David lived a life of prayer where countless time and time after again he sought wisdom from the Lord and inquired of the Lord. Many of the Psalms are prayers as well. It's undeniable, but prayer is important. And first of all, before we get into it, I just want to look at a famous verse, arguably one of Mark Lofthouse's most favorite verses in the whole Bible, as we all know. It's Galatians 5.16. It simply says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. So why is this verse important when it comes to prayer? Well, there's a question. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And that answer is twofold. First answer is the Word. We need to be in the Word. We need to be hearing it, reading it, studying it, meditating <coughs> in it, living it out in our life, having a life that's measured by the Word of God second part of the answer to that question as to what does it mean to walk in spirit is prayer. We ought to be in constant prayer as we're exhorted in First Thessalonians 5.17 where it simply says pray without ceasing and pray ultimately to our Father in heaven which we'll look at a bit later on as exhorted in Matthew 6.9. So we need to be men and women of the word and of prayer if we're going to be walking in the Spirit, so today we're also going to be focused on prayer. Since Pastor Kevin has already covered the Word in the first two topic uh, foundations topics. So, without further ado, let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you, ultimately for prayer, the fact that you've given us this way of talking and communicating to yourself, where we can bring our supplications and requests and Worship and adoration, and thanksgiving, and our confessions. So, Father, we thank you that is a powerful tool that can be used to change circumstances and ultimately just to draw us closer to you, Father. So, Father, we just uh, pray that uh, as we study what your Word has to say about prayer, that our hearts will be open to hear what your Spirit's got to say to us. So, we just commit this time into your hands, In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 So. Well, there are six questions what I want to quickly look at regarding prayer. First question simply, we've kind of looked at this already what is prayer? And prayer, as I said already, is simply us communicating with the Almighty God, talking to Him as we kind of do talk with each other. So, which brings us on to the second question well, does God listen to us? How do we know God has listened to us? After all, when you're talking you know your mouth is moving your lips are moving your tongue's moving about and noises vaguely resembling words are coming out like mind almost and you know that you are talking to someone and how do you know if someone's listening to you I can tell pretty much all you're listening because you're looking this way I can see it I can also hear that no one else is talking over top of me I can tell that you're listening and that's why I can tell my kids are never listening because they're never looking at me and always <laughs> talking over top of me So you can tell if people are actually listening to you. But how do you know if God's listening? You can't see God. You can't hear him talking over top of you. So how do you know God is listening to us when we pray? Well, simple. The Bible tells us so. Psalm 34, verse 15. It's a great psalm, what David read earlier and we sung earlier. which says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. God's ears are open to the cry of the righteous. I'm always telling my boys to put their ears on and turn them on. They should always respond, and my ears are off. <laughs> but God's ears are always on. God's ears are always pointing towards us. I love what it says about prayer in Revelation chapter eight, verse one to four, where it says about then he opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. But another angel, having a gold censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Our prayers, the prayers of the saints, ascend before the very throne of God in heaven. God does listen to our prayers. Which then brings us on to the next question. If God listens, does he answer? Does God answer our prayers? Well, communication, as we said, prayer is is a two-way street, not a one-way street. It requires both parties to be talking to one another. So the short answer is yes, God does answer our prayers. But the question is: is, are we listening to his response? we may not be able to hear response because maybe our prayer is asking amiss. Maybe it's because, as in James 4 verse 3, she says, you ask and do not not receive because you ask amiss, but you may spend it on your pleasure. So what does that kind of verse mean? What does asking amiss mean? Asking amiss means that you're not quite in the right place. You're, maybe it is inappropriate or out of place. We ask... But our request is not quite right with the Lord's will. Or our request is perhaps maybe inappropriate when we say, Lord, rain how fire upon that person It's just stolen my parking space. Yeah. Sometimes the requests are just plain inappropriate. But yet, our prayers should be about our desire for God's will to be done and not our will to be done, which makes you think, wow, How do I know what God's will is? Very prudent question. If you don't know what God's will is, simply ask. Mm -hmm. James 1, uh, verse 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberty and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not man suppose that he will receive anything from Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So you don't know what the will of the Lord is. Ask for wisdom to show you his will. And if you really know what his will is, just turn to Exodus chapter 20. It's a great source for knowing what his will is for all our lives. But here in James, it's more or less saying about don't be a double-minded person. What does that kind of mean? literally means you're kind of like being almost like a double-souled person, two-souled person, where you're kind of grasping onto the fins of the earth here and trying also to kind of touch and grasp the fins of the spirit there. But yet, you're trying to serve two masters, which God said Jesus himself said, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to have to give up on your earthly desires because you don't give up on your earthly desires. You're not really going to truly grasp or desire the fins of the spirit. So when it comes to knowing the will of God, asking faith, being heavenly-minded, not earthly-minded, seeking the things above, not the things here on earth. God will answer those prayers, and you will hear him. But sometimes God will answer us straight away. We see that in Isaiah 65, verse 24. It says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Before they call. Our answer and while they are still speaking i will hear but yet sometimes his answer may be delayed and you see that in luke 18 verse 7 and the lord got, uh, and shall god not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them he bears long his answer may be delayed because he is long bearing. next question how often should we pray It's a good question. Well, as we've kind of looked at already in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. I think of Daniel. He's a great example. He is recorded in uh, Daniel, chapter 6, that he prayed three times a day. Three times a day he prayed. There's no set amount, really, for how often you should be praying a day. Just being pray, prayer, eat daily. Next question, number five. Sometimes I don't know what to pray. What should I pray for? I don't know what to pray. Well, the Holy Spirit can help you with that. Romans 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So, it doesn't matter if you're not sure exactly what to pray for or what the needs of the prayer are just pray and the spirit will work in those prayers and if you really need help use Paul's prayers as an example for it. Paul made a great prayer in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 16 to 19 if you want to look it up yourselves, you can but that's a great prayer to pray for anyone and the last question question number 6 is what does prayer achieve? What does prayer achieve? Does it achieve anything? Well, we know we can grow in our spirit, uh, sorry, in our knowledge of God's word by reading it. We can grow spiritually by studying it. We can learn about God, his attributes and his character from his word. But yet, let's put it this way. Imagine if I had a book and told me everything I need to know about my wife, told me how to love her, cherish her, how to look after her, but yet imagine if all I done is I read the book and never actually spoke to her. What sort of relationship would that be? What sort of marriage would that be <laughs> if I just kind of what I want to know something if I just read the book and not actually speak to her? Communication is vital and important in any relationship. So if communication is so vital in any relationship, why do so many Christians disregard prayer? truly want to draw closer to god in our relationship with him we need to be men and women of prayer and his word we need to be talking to him so i'm afraid that's not end of the sermon it's not a short one because now we're looking at the next big thing how do we pray how do we pray you know what the disciples asked this question to jesus they said lord How should we need to pray? How do we pray? And Jesus' response has been used out through the centuries as he said these words, which are recorded in Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13, so if you'd like to turn there, we can spend the rest of our time in that chapter, in Matthew 6, looking at verses 9 to 13, which simply says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord's Prayer, as it's been titled. But yet, I kind of think that it's a bit uh, misleading in the title you may be given on top of your Bible. It's the Lord's Prayer. Is actually recorded for us in John 9 17 when Jesus himself prayed to the Father. But here, what we got, as mine says, is the model prayer, which is probably more accurate there is the model given to us, an example given us of how we need to pray. I know these verses have been repeated word for word throughout uh, various services, and that's great, got nothing against that. But yet, I think if we only use it to recite, word by word we're kind of missing the heart of what jesus was trying to say here and so let's break down these verses of what jesus was actually trying to tell us so first of all looking at verses 9 and 10 our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven these verses speaks of adoration adoration we need adoration in our prayers Maybe may be wondering what was adoration adoration simply means respect reverence a deep love can also mean giving homage or worship to something or someone so adoration to who the opening line tells us our father in heaven our father in heaven that's who we pray to our father in heaven who loves us and cherishes us and our adoration is twofold is worship for who God is and worship for what God has done. For God who is, God is, as we know already, holy, love, spirit, light and for what he's done, salvation, adoption us, choosing us, sealing us. God deserves our adoration and worship and let's face it, that's why we were created in the first place was to give him glory. So, if we were created in the first place to give him glory then our prayers should be given him glory we do that from adoration and you're wondering wow is an examples of that in the bible of prayers with adoration in them and we are several you got paul uh gave adoration a fair few times in his prayers second corinthians 1 verse 3 blessed be the god and father of lord jesus christ the father of mercies and god of all comfort God is worshipping God for his mercy and his comfort, especially in times of need and troubles. In his prayer to the Corinthians, uh, sorry, and as well as that, and to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, 15, 16 He who is blessed and only potent, kin of kins, lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in an approachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, whom be honour and everlasting power. Amen. Paul's worshipping God for who he years, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, mortal, dwelling in amazing light, where no darkness belongs, but is pure and perfect and holy. Another example is First Timothy 1, 17. Now to the kin Eternal, immortal, invisible God, who alone is wise, be honour and glory forever. Amen. Paul, once again, worshipping God for his attributes which are alone, reserved for God alone. Even in Psalms, you see Psalms are prayers of worship. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 1-2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 106, verse 1, Praise the Lord, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. God is worthy of all our praise and worship no matter what we are facing in this life he's always deserving of that even in our prayers so pray to our father God in heaven with worship and adoration for who he is and what he has done our father in heaven hallowed be your name for a good father we have a father in heaven who loves us cherishes us wants to and desires to and longs to bless us he continually blesses us and has blessed us with every spiritual blessing we read that in ephesians 1 chapter 3 uh, chapter 1 verse 3 and like the whole chap- three chapters of that first book of that book ephesians are all about the blessings we have in god but yeah especially verse 3 of chapter 1 says blessed be the god and father of lord jesus christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places our good father in heaven wants to bless us with every blessing and what a good father is we read more about that in uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 9 to 11 about how our good father wants to give us good gifts uh, which says in Matthew 7 verse 9 to 11 or oh, what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for fish will he give him a serpent if you then being evil Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Think of an earthly Father, and how many good gifts that your heavenly, uh, your earthly Father has given you, or we earthly Fathers give our kids. And then imagine it, that Father figure being perfect. How much more would those good gifts be from a perfect Father? What reason do we have? Not to worship and praise our good father in heaven who loves us your kingdom come your uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven basically your kingdom come let us be eternally minded heavenly minded seeking his return and his kingdom your will be done on earth as it is in heaven It's not a desperate plea for God's will to be done because there's a chance it may not happen, fact, God's will may not quite come to pass. It's more of a prayer of affirmation, of uh, more of like saying, Lord, your will will be done. It's almost a prayer of um, having us having that eternal perspective, saying, Lord, you must increase. I must decrease. We see that in John 3.30 he must increase, but I must decrease. It's saying not my will, but your will be done, Lord. It's us saying we need to take up our cross and follow him 100%. After all, our will is not done in heaven, so why should our will be done here on earth? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the second part. We've had adoration and verses 9 to 10. Verse 11, we have supplication. Give us this day our daily bread. God wants us to trust in him. Depend on him for our every need. No matter how big or small that need is. Question is: Is is prayer for our daily needs our first resort or last resort? Do we go to God in prayer for our daily needs first, or do we just assume that we're going to get those daily needs? And how we need to make prayer for our daily needs as important as our daily needs are. Philippians four six says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving." Let your requests be known made to God. Don't be anxious for your daily needs. It's similar to Matthew 6 where Jesus said, "Do not worry. We need not worry about our daily needs, because our Father in heaven will give us our daily needs. But yet God wants us to pray to Him for our daily needs. Because just how effective is prayer in our daily needs? I know Matthew 17 20 talk about faith, saying that if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move this mountain uh, from there to here and you will be moved and nothing will be impossible for you. But well, what about prayer? If faith is that effective, what about prayer? Can prayer help us in our daily needs? Is there examples of prayer for daily needs in the Bible? Yeah. Exodus 15, verse 23 to 25, which says, Now when they came to Marah, They could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of uh, of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So here we see that the children of Israel have a daily need of water. You can't get any more basic than you need for water. But yet they had a need for it. So what do they do? They complained to Moses. And what did Moses do in verse 25? It says, So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters... But waters were made sweet? So God saw, knew that there was a need, a daily need there. The children of Israel cried to Moses. Moses prayed for that daily need, and God met that daily need. And it's not the only time he'd done the same with bread from heaven in chapter sixteen of Exodus. He'd done the same again in chapter seventeen, with getting water from a rock. And what I say is one of our biggest needs. He gave the children of Israel meat when he sent crow in Numbers chapter eleven. God wants to be the provider of our daily needs. Sometimes he provides those daily needs. Naturally, he'll give us jobs to go out and earn money to go and provide for our daily needs. But sometimes he also provide for his daily needs in a very supernatural way. And one of the best examples I could think of was George Muller. This just absolutely blows my mind. I'm going to read you a portion taken from a book called a life of prayer. So, George Miller he um, ran a string of orphanages in Bristol. But this says the children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Miller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them set the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children, as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door. Mr. Muller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow, I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in soon. And then there was another knock at the door. It was a milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as a milkman brought in ten large cans of milk. It was just enough, full of 300 thirsty children. You see, George Miller, he prayed the prayer of supplication and thanksgiving, and the Lord had already set in motion the means to provide for that need. If there's a basic daily need that needs to be met, have faith, pray, and seek God. He will provide. Sadly, I've been told a Lamborghini's not classed as a daily need. <laughs> so prayer can help us to provide for our daily needs. What about drastic times and drastic measures? Can he- prayer help him those? Yep. Daniel, facing a death sentence and because the kin is mad that no one can tell him his dream and interpret it for him, what does Daniel do? And his three friends do in Daniel chapter 2. Well, let's read. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 to 18. And Daniel went to his house, made decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they may seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel's companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What happened next? Verse 19. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God answered Daniel's prayer, and their lives were spared. Hezekiah, another great example. When faced with a massive army against Jerusalem, an army that was impossible for him to beat, what did he do? In 2 Kings 19, verse 15 to 19, Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennach which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and the lands and wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth May you know that you are the God, you alone. And what happened next in verse 20? Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Saint Shinab, king of Assyria, I have heard. God heard his prayer. And what did God do? He acted. In verse 35, and it came to pass on a certain night. The angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. When the people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Saint Shnikab, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. Prayer is powerful to change the difficult circumstances, the impossible circumstances in our lives. Prayer changes things here on earth, and it meets our daily needs. Prayer can help to strengthen us, give us mercy, grace, encouragement, healing, and deliverance, safety, and wisdom when we need them. Prayer has also changed other circumstances. nationwide. I Let you think about it, Elijah prayed for no rain. And no rain showed for over three years. You see that in James 5, 17 to 18. I love what James says about it. Because he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. A nature like ours. And he prayed to earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Here, Elijah's prayer changed circumstances in the land of Israel. Maybe for the worst to begin with, but then for the greater. But yet yeah, it was all about to bring revival in the land. Another great example of a circumstance being changed is Peter. I'm uh, not going to read the whole section, but uh, in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by who? The church. The church prayed for Peter, who was in prison. And what happened next? Peter was sleeping. He got woken up quite vigorously by an angel who nudged him. He was like, hey, get up. And then he was like, come on, get your clothes on. Peter got his clothes on. The angel then said, come on, follow me. He went first, first guard, second guard, third guard. Before Peter knew it, he was out standing by the gates going into the city. And Peter was like, okay, follow the angel through the gate. And when he came to, he was like, I just walked out of prison. The church prayed. The church prayed. And it freed Peter. Peter was in prison, and he was released. Prayer helped Peter out there. Another example is from history. I think of Dunkirk the, um, in World War II, where the kin of the United Kingdom called the nation to pray for those 3, 300,000 men stranded on the beaches in Dunkirk in northern France. The nation prayed. What happened? They were expecting about 40,000 men to be saved. 300,000 men were saved. And I'm afraid to believe that God worked a miracle by saving those men on those beaches because our nation prayed. Prayer can change circumstances. But yet, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Paul, has fallen in the flesh, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10, and at last I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A fawn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Least I be exalted above measure. Because then I pleaded, I prayed with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul so desperately wanted a change in his personal circumstance, but yet his prayer was answered, no, by God, because God wanted to use that personal circumstance to prove and show his grace and his strength through Paul's weakness. So yes, prayer does change circumstances, but at the same time, it depends on what God's will and purposes are. Which then kind of brings you on to the next point. Praying in light of a sovereign God. I mean, like, our prayers and our supplications, they're kind of, what we offer to God, they're kind of bound by the time and will and purposes of a sovereign God. And if they're bound up by the purposes of a sovereign god then why pray and i considering that in numbers 23 19 where it says god is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent uh, as he has he said and will he not do or has he spoken and will he not make it good hebrews 13 8, jesus christ is saying yesterday today and forever and james 1:17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning so if god does not change if we can't change his mind then why the prayers why the supplications the intercessions if god has already got it in an simple god wants us to pray he wants us to pray to him via supplications and our intercessions. He delights in those prayers. Think about it, there's nowhere in the Bible do we find a man rebuked for making those sort of prayers. In fact, we find the complete opposite. A man is encouraged to pray to God. And in fact, when times when man did not pray to God in the Bible, he got himself in trouble. You think of Joshua, the Battle of Ai. He failed to inquire of the Lord, they lost the battle. As you see, uh, Paul asked for prayer to be able to preach the gospel without fear and emphasis. And you see that in Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, praying always with all prayer and supplication, the spirit being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly, make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador of chains. Paul is encouraging there, for prayer for himself. Paul encouraged us to pray for our petitions as well in Philippians 4, 67. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be know, made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, pray. In Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11, but it says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you, who, if his son asks for bre- bread, and, st- and you give him a stone? Or he asks for fish, will you not give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, now to give, give gifts to your children, how much more your Father, who is in heaven, give, give gifts to him who asks him? Jesus himself says, ask. Pray. You see, when it comes to prayer and supplications and praying to a sovereign God, two things have been pl- uh, played out here. You've got God's sovereignty, the fact it never changes, but you also have man's responsibility. D.A. Car- Carson, in his book, uh, Praying with Paul, puts it this way He says, First of all, God is absolutely sovereign, but his sovereignty never functions in the scripture to reduce human responsibility. And number two, human beings are responsible creatures. This is, they choose, they believe, they disobey, they respond. And there is a moral significance in their choices. However, human responsibility never functions in Scripture to diminish God's sovereignty or to make God absolute contingent. So, in other words, in other words, it's saying that uh, prayer is... Uh, man's responsibility and prayer going hand in hand. I'm like, if you think about it, there's examples uh, of this where responsibility to pray but will never hinder God and His plan. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to his kingdom for such time as this. Here we see God's sovereignty being played out and the fact that he has already known and already planned that he's going to save his people. It's just Esther's responsibility to rise up to the call cool which she's got placed over her life to bring about that deliverance. God's plan will succeed, whether or not if Esther stands up. But if Esther does not stand up, she will be the one to pay the price for her sin. Can David, in numbering the people, uh, where God himself moved David to number the people, and in doing so, David sinned. Uh, 2 Samuel 24.1 um, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. In 2 Samuel 24.10 um, and the Lord's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people, so David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly and what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. You see, God moved David to count the people in his righteous anger over their sin. And then he judged Israel, but then he held David accountable for his sin and having the people numbered. You see God's sovereignty being played out there, but David's responsibility or failed responsibility in not numbering the people. Same goes for Babylon and Syria. Think about it. God used them to judge Israel, his nation, but then he uh, carried out judgment upon those two nations for how they carried out his judgment. We see these examples, God's perfect sovereignty being played out and fulfilled, and man's responsibility for his own actions. We pray to a sovereign God because it's our responsibility to pray to him. Because how does this apply to our prayer? It's our responsibility to pray to God for our needs and our supplications and to pray intercession prayers for others and their needs. It's our responsibility to pray for our church leadership. It's our responsibility to pray for the nation, our leaders. It's our responsibility to pray for God and Father in heaven for his will to be done. After all, it will not change his mind or change his will or purposes, but yet it changes us. It changes our hearts. It changes our perspectives. It changes our plans. Prayer makes us dependent upon God. Prayer proves our faith in him, and it draws us closer to God. So we looked at admiration, supplication. The third one in verse 12 to 13 is Confession. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sadly, we can't talk about prayer and not talk about sin and confession. They go hand in hand. Because unforgiving sin in our hearts can cause us not to want to pray. Unforgiving sin can cause us not to pray in the spirit. Unforgiving sin can cause us to pray amiss and not according to God's will. And the unforgiveness towards others has the same effect as what I've just mentioned. So confess our sins. Forgive one another in our prayers. Because sin has a very big impact in our prayer life. Sin hinders our prayers, just like pride hinders our prayers. Bitterness hinders our prayers. A lack of spiritual purity hinders our prayers. We hinder our prayers. So let's look at some of these hurdles, what we face a little closer. Problems with prayer. First one, it's no time to pray. One of our biggest hindrances, one which I'm sadly guilty of too, is not making the time to pray. Our day gets so busy doing everything what we think we need to get done. We get so caught up in the busyness of life that we just sadly, prayer becomes a lesser importance and a priority when in fact it should be our top priority. We need not to find the time to pray, but make the time to pray. We need to set aside part of our time to pray. We need to be less like Mara, running around being busy serving, even if we're serving each other or serving the Lord. We need to be more like Mary, She spent time, quality time with the Lord. How much time? It's up to yourself to decide. But just make sure when you do spend that time, that is quality time with the Lord. Number two, maybe you feel like no need to pray. You think, but you've got it all sorted. I don't need to depend on prayer. I have nothing I need to pray for. Or maybe you've got that train of thought that prayer is only for those who are Weak or helpless or can't stand the way two feet. And that's a mindset of pure pride. Jesus himself, who is God manifested in the flesh, prayed. He was not weak or helpless by any stretch of means, but he was dependent upon the Father in heaven. He humbled himself and he was a great man of prayer. He talked to his heavenly Father countless times, spending the whole night even praying, he valued prayer higher than sleep. How often we can perhaps maybe cheapen prayer. If Jesus saw the need to pray in his life, how much more do we need to be in prayer? Or maybe perhaps you're too content to pray. It may sound similar to no need to pray, but this carries more of an idea of, um, of not pride keeping us from uh, praying, but a lack of spiritual growth keeping us from praying instead of having a burning desire to draw closer to god in our relationship with him through studying his word and through prayer you're just content where you are spiritually keeping jesus at an arm length and not wanting to grow in your faith when you walk with him and you're just remaining a spiritual babe and not being able to handle the real meat substance and you miss great spiritual blessings in staying in that state, and a closer relationship with God, because you're too content with where you're at in your spiritual walk, or maybe perhaps number four, you're too dry. Sometimes we don't feel like we can pray. Maybe our day has been tough. We feel discouraged, downhearted. Whatever it is, sometimes we just don't feel like we're in a good spiritual place to pray. The trouble is, is should prayer be dependent upon our feelings? Ought we to pray regardless of how stressed we are and how discouraged we are? And in those times, shouldn't prayer be our number one go-to? Shouldn't on those important times we should be praying? Maybe perhaps it's someone who doesn't want you to pray. They They want you to keep feeling stressed and discouraged. They want you to keep them feeling spiritually dry because they don't want you drawn closer to God. Our feelings ought not to get in the way of our prayers. Spiritual dryness is more a result of our emotional state than perhaps maybe your own spiritual walk. Maybe you're too bitter to pray. Harboring resentment, bitterness, unwillingness to move past something or on from something or from some sin that they committed against you can make you not want to pray. Did that person or people treat you harshly? Did they use you? Did they rob you or cheat you or something? Or did they abuse trust or confidentiality? Whatever they did against you, yes, it will hurt. And it can hurt deep. And it could cause some serious damage to you emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. But yet still, whatever they did, who are we to hold that bitterness against them? I know someone who forgave her own father for years of sexual abuse towards him. But yet she found in the heart to forgive that man. Holy Father. Sometimes you hear the news of parents who forgive the children's murderer. It's incredible. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we pr- uh, forgive? Peter, very with buffed, uh, puffed up pride, said seven times. But yet in Matthew 18, 21 to 22, Jesus said to him, I say to you not up to seven times, but seven times seven. And you know what? After he said that to Peter... He went on into a parable about a servant. A servant who owed his master what he can never pay back in five lifetimes. His debt to his master was greater than he could ever pay back. But then that servant found favour of his master's eyes. His master forgave his debt. But then that same servant went out and found another servant who owed him perhaps maybe the only day's wage. But yet he would not forgive that other servant's debt towards him. The debt of sin, where we commit against each other, is no comparison to the debt of sin, what we have paid against uh, God himself. Who are we not to forgive others? Don't let bitterness and resentment destroy your life or destroy your walk with God. Forgive one another and move on. I know it's easier said than done, but we have to for our own sake. Number six. Maybe you're too shamed to pray. Sin in your own life will stop you from praying. Whether it's unconfessed sin that you're living in or past sin that you've committed, but yet you can't quite accept the fact that you have been forgiven by a Father in heaven. If you're not praying because of unconfessed sin and you're living in that sinful lifestyle, prayer is going to be very difficult for you. Your prayer and your desire to pray will diminish. Sin's desire is to keep you from an intimate, close relationship with God. So repent and turn from sin. Focus upon the and finisher of our faith and listen to that voice of conviction because that's God calling you to repentance, calling you back to himself. It's a difference between someone who's too ashamed and someone who is too content. There's the one who's ashamed still hears that voice of conviction, whereas the one who's content stopped listening ages ago. Sin is knocking the doors of our hearts. Don't let it have its way with us. Don't let it have a grip over your lives. Confess or repent. And if you're ashamed of past sin in your life, that's preventing you from praying. It's not God is condemning you. It's your own heart. Romans 8 verse 1. There's therefore no condemnation for those from Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to flesh but according to spirit. God has forgiven you. And that's all you need is God's forgiveness. After all, sin is against God, not man. It's his laws and his standards what we break. God's mercy and forgiveness is sufficient. Let nothing hinder your prayer life. Prayer is your communication to your heavenly Father in heaven who loves you and gave himself for you. Prayer draws you closer to God in your relationship with him. Prayer helps you grow spiritually. It makes you depend upon him. It makes you more and more like his beautiful son, Jesus. Confess your sins, reprint, and pray. Which then brings us on to the last section, Thanksgiving. Verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's give thanks to the Lord God for all belongs to Him. Always come from Him and all is owe to Him. And what is there not to pray a prayer of Thanksgiving for? Maybe thinking's like, didn't you cover this earlier, Rob, in adoration? No. Thanksgiving and adoration are very different. Adoration is worship. And Praising God for who he is and what He's done, and thanksgiving is thanking God for what He's done in and through us, or through others, or for what He's done for us. Paul is an A star example of this type of prayer. We see this type of prayer in Romans 8 uh, sorry, Romans 1 verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken all throughout the whole world. Paul's thanking the Lord for the believers in Rome, and in thanking the Lord for their faith, which is famous in all the world, and what I want to be famous for, your faith in God. Another example of his thanksgiving is in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 4 to 9, which says, I thank my God always concerning for you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Despite the church's huge failures and sins they are living in, Paul gave thanks to God for the believers in Corinth and full of grace that they had experienced. Paul thanks God that they are enriched in everything. Paul gives thanks that Jesus Christ being confirmed in them. And that the lies shouted out that Jesus was ruling in them. Paul was thanking God for this church in Corinth. Philemon 4 7, I thank God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints that sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing in which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Paul thanks God for a single man, Philemon, for his love, for his faith, and for his refreshing nature. We could give thanks to God for churches, for individuals, for the works of God in individual pe- lives, and what has God done for all of us. Give thanks to the Lord for the work he's doing in our church here, enriching us in the knowledge of his word. Thanks to the Lord for the service of all those who serve in our church. Give thanks to the Lord for all those who are covering us in prayers. Give thanks to the Lord for saving us, for choosing us, and adopting us. Give thanks to the Lord for the breath we have in our lungs. Give thanks to the Lord for the whatever it is just give thanks to the lord adoration supplication confession thanksgiving use these in your model for how we pray you don't need to have every single one of those and every single prayer what you pray but yet when you do pray consider is a room for adoration do i need to confess anything Are there supplications i need to make for myself or for others Is there anything I could give thanks for? There's always something to give thanks for. So let's end by reciting this amazing prayer. So if everyone would like to join me, we're going to start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and glory, forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for prayer that you've given us to it. And may we just go today just thinking about that model of prayer about how in our prayer lives to give you adoration to worship you to glorify you because that's why you created us in the first place and far as we pray may we think of the needs and supplications and intercession what we can offer for not just ourselves but for everyone who is in trouble and in need lord and maybe bring our daily needs to you as well just not in difficult times but in any time of our life Uh, you are a great provider. You are a great provision. May we just remember that all comes from you, and we all receive everything from you, and need you in everything, every part of our life. So may we not forget you in our daily needs, Lord, in our prayers. And Father, may we just continue to confess our sins, and just examine our hearts, make sure our hearts are right before you for our prayers. And may we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and love, and thank you for the work you do. And each and every single one of us here today, we praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.